listeners, and welcome to the Montel Pod Extra, bringing you the latest energy market developments in these extraordinary COVID-19 times. Joining me, Richard Sverison, today is Mark Lewis, who's the Global Head of Sustainability Research at BNB Paribas. A warm welcome to you, Mark. Thank you, Richard. Great to be with you. How are you coping in these times? Not too badly, thanks. I mean, uh, we live outside uh, Paris, about 15 kilometers to the west, and uh, fortunate enough to have a garden. The weather has been pretty good, really. So, uh, so far, so good. But uh, conscious that other people are, you know, struggling and in particular, obviously, uh, feeling solidarity with the healthcare workers and healthcare researchers on the front lines and those trying to find a a vaccine for this terrible uh, pandemic. Absolutely. Is there any sign of an easing of the lockdown in in France and in Paris? Well, we expect from Monday that we will be uh, allowed greater freedom of movement, but still obviously within the parameters of strict social distancing and uh, taking all the precautions that we've become familiar with. I don't think we're anywhere close to going back to uh, normality, quote unquote. I think, uh, unfortunately for all of us, um, that's going to be some time in the future still. What's helped you through the tough times then, Mark? Well, I mean, I think the thing is, the markets themselves have been so interesting over the last few weeks that um, that's been keeping me very busy. And um, the volatility that we've been seeing, particularly in the energy sector and uh, oil and gas especially, has been truly extraordinary. Just to give the, the most obvious example off the top of my head, the fact that we've seen oil prices go negative for the first time ever, at least insofar as we're talking about Oil prices that we see on the screens, you know, that financial traders see on the screens. Oil prices do occasionally go negative in physical markets. And one of the interesting features of the last few weeks was the fact that there was for a period a huge disconnect between the price on the screen, you know, the paper price or the screen price in the futures markets and the physical price that we know people were paying for oil in uh, landlocked areas of North America. So truly extraordinary. And uh, that's been keeping me very busy. At the same time, I stick to my familiar comfort at uh, any time of stress, which are William Shakespeare and Led Zeppelin. (laughs) Perfect, perfect combo there, I think, Mark. Um, Do you expect those negative prices to affect other markets? I mean, we've certainly seen it in power for for many years, but for example, for, for the natural gas market. Well, I think it's very interesting what you say there, Richard, about electricity power markets. Those of us who have followed the developments in the uh, electricity market of Europe over the last decade and a half, we've become familiar with this increasing volume of renewable electricity on the market and the impact that has had on prices. And as you say, it's, it's by no means uncommon to see negative prices in European power markets these days. So in some ways, seeing that happen in oil markets for the first time was less of a surprise for those of us familiar with electricity markets than people who've just spent their whole careers looking at oil markets. Very interesting also that you mentioned gas because clearly uh, there have been concerns about oversupply in the LNG market and um, prices in the Asian basin in particular going very low recently. I'd be surprised to see European gas prices go negative, but clearly we are in an extraordinary world. And I think the lesson that we need to draw from this episode is that energy markets, as with so many other things we take for granted in normal times, have been shown to be more fragile than anybody thought. And the whole point about the energy transition is that it is this incredibly disruptive phenomenon. 
And a point that I've been making for a long time now, and you've heard me make it at uh, Montel conferences in the past, is that just as renewable energy has disrupted electricity markets, it will now start to disrupt oil markets and ultimately gas markets as well, because for the first time in history, oil will have a competitor for road transportation. The the way I think about this is very simple. 50% of oil, at least 50% of oil, slightly, probably just a little bit more than 50% of oil demand goes on road transportation. And until now, there's never been a competitor to oil as a fuel for road transportation. But with the rise of electric vehicles, you have electricity emerging as a direct competitor to oil as a source of fuel for mobility, personal mobility. And increasingly, renewable energy is the fastest growing source of electricity demand on the planet. And electricity is the fastest growing source of energy demand on the planet, which tells you two things. One, the world is electrifying. And two, renewable electricity is the main driver of that electrification. So over the next decade and a half, and as electric vehicles become competitive with petrol vehicles and with diesel vehicles, at the point of purchase, you know, the sticker price, as they call it, the sticker price comparison between electric vehicles and conventional internal combustion engine vehicles reaches parity, I think you're going to find that uh, this disruption to oil markets becomes a structural feature rather than an intense period of volatility brought on by a pandemic that nobody foresaw. And I think it would be entirely the wrong conclusion to draw within the oil industry that this is just a one-off event caused by an unforeseeable pandemic and the world will then go back to normal and uh, in two years' time we'll be back to the world we knew before with oil demand growing again. I think this is a real shot across the bows, which indicates there is actually a longer-term structural issue that the oil industry will still be facing and be facing with greater intensity once the pandemic has passed, which, as I say, may take longer than than most of us are currently assuming. It's, it's not because you lift the lockdowns that we all go back to normal. No, absolutely. So so what's your vision then post-COVID-19? What, what does the world look like? It, it's uh, more electric uh, transportation. Anything else, uh, Mark? This is how I think about it. There were structural trends in place before the pandemic came along, which will still be there once we are able to lift the lockdowns and once we're even able to... Uh, lift the social distancing requirements whenever that might be and those structural requirements are you know the need for decarbonization the policy pressure around that the technological response to that the investor response to that the societal response to that all of those factors feed on one another reinforce one another and will drive continuing pressure to uh, decarbonize you have this uh, incredible pressure that's been building for some time in which the COVID pandemic has shown for the first time that we can change our behavior in a way that results in a a dramatic improvement. And that is the pressure around cleaner air in big cities. So we're all familiar now with these before and after pictures of big cities, particularly in Asia, such as uh, New Delhi and other very large cities that, you know, typically you never see blue sky and you don't breathe clean air. Citizens in those kinds of very large Asian, Southeast Asian cities who are experiencing blue skies and clean air, I think will push their governments towards what I call the detoxification 
of their cities over time. So that will add impetus to policies around electrification of transport within big cities. That's another link between the structural pressure that was there in the first place and the policy response we're likely to see as a result of even when the pandemic is over. And, you know, very importantly, Richard, I think what this crisis has revealed, which again will reinforce a structural trend that was in place beforehand, but probably a very, very slow burn structural trend, and I think this will accelerate it greatly, was the phenomenon of white collar workers working from home and flexible working. What this crisis has revealed, I think, is that many white collar workers can work a lot more from home without disturbing their productivity. In fact, on the contrary, in many cases, perhaps improving their productivity. And all of these daily commutes that go into getting people from their homes to their offices and back again. I mean, I myself typically spend an hour and a half commuting on a given day, 45 minutes to work, 45 minutes back. You know, that's an extra hour and a half that I've gained that I can put to more productive effect in terms of thinking about energy transition, writing about it, talking to our clients about it. So I think that productivity benefit will be a very interesting thing to monitor going forward and will prompt many workers and many companies to think more seriously about home working in the future. And international aviation, to take a very obvious example, mm. there's an industry, I was about to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, there's an industry that has been very badly affected by the response to COVID. And I simply do not see how that comes back quickly. And I, frankly, I don't see how it comes back to see the same rates of growth that it had. Of course, aviation will recover and people will start flying again at some point in big numbers. But I very much doubt personally, we will ever see the same rates of growth in aviation that we were seeing over the last 10 years before this pandemic hit. Because the other great revelation of this lockdown has been that um, everybody is becoming more familiar with video conferencing technologies and other solutions. I think uh, many companies also feeling the financial pressure of the impact of the lockdown will be looking for cost savings coming out of the lockdown. And international air travel is expensive. And it's an obvious place to cut if you're looking for cost cut and it improves your carbon footprint. So I think many and and one other thing, it will be a while before we have uh, enough data to uh, analyze this properly. But I think supply chains, we live in a very, very complicated, globalized world where many industries have extremely intricate, globalized supply chains. And again, the lockdowns across the world in different jurisdictions at different times have disrupted many, many supply chains. And so the question becomes, will there be extra pressure in the future on some industries to rationalize those supply chains and bring some of them closer back to home? In my view, what you have here is a link between structural pressures that were already there and pandemic responses, policy responses, that in many of these cases, in my view, will accelerate the speed with which the structural pressures assert themselves. So that's the long answer to your question. The short answer to your question is, yes, I expect to see more electrification. I expect to see more working from home. I expect to see structurally less 
air travel in the future, more use of video conferencing, and we're going to be in a different world. And, and as a result, I think we may actually have seen already, too early to say, of course, but no longer impossible to conceive of the possibility that 2019 marked already the peak in global oil demand. Mark, thank you very much for uh, your vision of a cleaner, greener world. Thank you again. Pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks. Enjoy the weekend with uh, Shakespeare and Led Zeppelin. I will. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, listeners, that's all for today. Remember to tune in every day at 5 o'clock CET on covid19.montelnews.com via the Montel website and on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please remember to tune into the Montel Weekly as well every Friday, where we'll be bringing you all the relevant energy market news and updates. Thank you. Bye.